So please turn in your Bible to Ezra chapter 6. We're going to be in verses 1 through 12. While you're turning, do you remember back in the day when you used to send out a letter, a handwritten letter that took an actual stamp in an envelope? We'd mail that out to a friend or family and we would await a reply. And we would wait anxiously for a reply. Well, as we've been journeying through Ezra, we have uh, faced the opposition to Israel in the rebuilding of the temple. And they have sent a letter. This is the second letter sent to the king. And, but this was sent to Darius in response to uh, Israel's answer to them about why are they again building the temple. And so, uh, and they referred to an earlier decree uh, which gave them permission to do that. And so they sent this letter trying to stop Israel again from rebuilding the temple. And so as they were without a place, so too we this morning face the same thing. We are due to the coronavirus restrictions. We are without a place. So we kind of understand a little bit about what they were going through as they... Uh, attempted to continue to worship the Lord and serve Him without a building as a home. And so uh, this morning, what we are going to be digging into is Darius's reply to Israel, and, or to uh, the opponents of Israel and their letter to them. We're going to begin in chapter 6, and we're going to be reading from verse 1 through verse 12. Then King Darius issued a decree, and search was made in the archives where the treasures were stored in Babylon. In Ecbatana, in the fortress, which is in the province of Media, a scroll was found, and there was written in it as follows, Memorandum. In the first year of King Cyrus, the king issued a decree concerning the house of God at Jerusalem. Let the temple, the place where sacrifices are offered, be rebuilt, and let its foundations be retained, its height being 60 cubits and its width 60 cubits, with three layers of huge stones and one layer of timbers, and let the cost be paid from the royal treasury. Also let the gold and silver utensils of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took from the temple in Jerusalem, and brought to Babylon, be returned, brought to their places in the temple in Jerusalem, and you shall put them in the house of God. Now therefore, Tatanai, governor of the province beyond the river, Shethar, Bozani, and your colleagues, the officials of the provinces beyond the river, keep away from there. Leave this work on the house of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews rebuild this house of God on its site. Moreover, I issue a decree concerning what you are to do for these elders of Judah in the rebuilding of this house of God. The full cost is to be paid to these people from the royal treasury out of the taxes of the provinces beyond the river, and that without delay. Whatever is needed, both young bulls, rams, and lambs for a burnt offering to the God of heaven, and wheat, salt, 
wine and anointing oil as the priest in Jerusalem request it is to be given to them daily without fail that they may offer acceptable sacrifices to the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and his sons and I issued a decree that any man who violates this edict a timber shall be drawn from his house and he shall be impaled on it and his house shall be made a refuge heap on account of this. May the God who has caused his name to dwell there overthrow any king or people who attempts to change it, so as to destroy this house of God in Jerusalem. I, Darius, have issued this decree. Let it be carried out with all diligence. Let us pray. Father, thank you so much for all uh, the works that you have done over uh, many uh, generations. And Father, as we look back and we learn from them, Father, I pray this morning that you'll encourage our hearts, that we'll know that you're still in control, that nothing escapes your attention. And Father, the things that happen in this world, you use for your glory. So Father, I pray for them. I pray that your hand will be upon their life. I pray that that they will see how you're moving around them, that they'll understand what their role is in those circumstances, and that they will listen to you them to go and stop where you'd have them to stop. Use them for your glory. Thank you for this opportunity to dive into this together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, as we look at the reply of Darius to uh, the king, uh, we see King Cyrus's original decree. We're going to see Darius's instructions and Darius's new decree. So we begin with King Cyrus's decree found. So the king does a request, uh, does as he was requested, and finds the decree that King Cyrus had, and, and it was found as a memorandum in a scroll detailing his decree. Here are the details of that decree that was originally given when when they returned to rebuild the temple there was there's he mentions three parts to that he tells us that the temple was to be rebuilt retaining its foundations it was to be 60 cubits high and 60 cubits wide three layers of huge stones and one layer of timbers so when they were sent back they were sent back to build a strong and mighty house for god for the temple that, that they were called to rebuild. And so this was not meant to be some shack on the beach, which um, would not be a bad thing for us, but was not the intention of what God was doing with his house. And so he, uh, this was to be strong, and it was to be uh, built to last. It wasn't meant to be uh, weak or feeble or um, underbuilt. And so they were to build it strong and they were to build it mighty. And so that was uh, one. Two, the cost was to be paid by the royal treasury. Now this was to make sure that there was no stoppage in the work due to cash shortage back then. And so because it takes a lot of money to do construction. And so here he tells them, hey, we're going to take care of what it takes to rebuild this temple. Now, if you remember back in time when Israel was carried off uh, into the uh, into Babylon, 
they were the they destroyed the temple. So they're restoring that which they had destroyed. They're paying for the destruction that they had caused. Three, he returned the gold and silver utensils that Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple. And so he was restoring function to the house of God. And I find it interesting that the gold and silver is being returned. Now this gold and silver is the same gold and silver that was fashioned into a golden calf at one time and was falsely worshipped. Then it was reclaimed and used for God's glory and worshipping His temple. It was carried away during their time in Babylon and now it's being returned again to the service of the king. And if we can see God, how God can use anything, whether it's been made mistakes or been misused, God can take anything that's misused and use it for His glory. And so that gives us hope. And so isn't it interesting how the people of God got their enemies to hunt and find a document that supported them? Interesting, because they laid that out. They had come. They were trying to find out so they could stop them. And what they were given was King Cyrus's decree. And when they went to hunt it down, King Darius, who was not the son of Cyrus, because the son of Cyrus had stopped this, if we remember, Artaxerxes, the, the, uh, Darius steps in and he finds this decree made uh, two kings ago. And so we see that they found the decree of the king. Next we see Darius's instructions. Darius responds to the request by, uh, by giving them directly uh, some instructions. He doesn't leave it there. He get, does this first. And he tells them to keep away from there. In other words, do not interfere with the people. Do not interfere with what they're doing. Keep away from the work that is being done to restore the temple of Almighty God. And so they uh, are told to uh, not to interfere with them. He tells them, leave this work on the house of God alone. So they're not to interfere with the people, and they're not to interfere with the work that they're doing. Because this work, uh, as Darius recognizes, is for the God of heaven and earth. Then he tells them uh, to let the governor of the Jews and the elders rebuild this house on its site. In other words, don't interfere with holy ground. There is holy ground in God's work, and there's, there is um, a God builds upon that, and there's things that He will protect, and things that uh, are not to be touched. And so He addresses the relationship to the people, He addresses the relationship to the work, and He addresses the relationship to the site, the site of the temple. It is holy ground, set apart by God. When God sets something apart for Himself, it is holy ground unto Him. The beauty of that is when He calls us out as Christians, He sets us apart unto Himself. That's what it means to be called out by God. And so we see here that Darius wants the harassment stopped, and he's determined to put an end to it. He's going to stop what they're doing. When God wants something done, He will make a way. Do not get discouraged on anything in your life. When God wants something done 
And when he wants it done through you, he will make the way. So when he tells you to do certain things, and when he speaks to your heart, or when you hear something and you go, wow, I can't do that, you can say, no, if God has asked me to do it, he'll do it, and that's what we want anyway. We want God doing it, not us doing it, out of our own resources and our own strength, because that is not enough to accomplish what God has called us to. It's Him in and through us. And when we respond to Him and we allow Him to be Himself in us, He can impact the world. And so do not be discouraged. Darius, they send this, they find the decree. Darius gives them instructions on what to do. And then Darius puts his own stamp on this. Darius issues his own decree. And so Darius goes further, issuing a decree for them to help rebuild the temple and so which is really interesting they went there and they were they were uh, really hoping to find that they could stop them and not only were they told not to stop them and leave them alone but now they're being told to help them and so he gives them instructions and, and we now have Darius's decree which states this it has also three parts that the money to rebuild it would come from the royal treasury, specifically from the taxes collected from the provinces and people harassing them. Ouch! So they're going, and they're trying to stop them, and he's like, no, the money that you're paying in taxes is now going to go to build the temple, and it's going to make a difference down there. The thing that you were trying to stop, we're going to use your money to build. And so that had to sting a little bit. Uh, two, they get whatever they need on a daily basis so that they may offer an acceptable sacrifice and pray for the life of the king and his sons. He was restoring worship, sacrificial worship at the temple site by this decree. Now, the other thing that he brings in here is he brings a little bit of self-desire, if you will. He says, please pray for me and my sons. Because he, there is an issue here that we have to ask and ask the text. Was Darius uh, a believer in God Almighty? Or was he just one who was a pantheist covering all of his bases, believing that there are multiple gods? It's an interesting study that we can dig into at another time. And so he was looking to uh, make sure that they had remembered him and that his uh, that they were lifting him in prayer. And finally, he tells them, any violations of this order carries a death sentence of impalement and destruction of their own property. That's pretty harsh, but probably effective. Because when the king pronounces a death sentence, there wasn't any appeals. There wasn't any um, rights that you could... Uh, Go with your attorney and file to the next court. It was carried out immediately. And so it's important to understand that when he says this, that it's a serious thing because the king had ultimate power over whether people lived or died within his province. And so he says he's not going to deal with any anybody messing around. And so Darius, uh, at a minimum, has a healthy fear of the Lord. And so either, uh, either way, we're on the right track with our understanding, or he was on the right track with his understanding of who God is. Because God will accomplish 
what he's called us to. So Darius goes a step further and with this decree tries to put an end to the opposition and their attempts to stop rebuilding the temple. And so God sends people at different times, different places, different ways that are in authority over us to accomplish his purposes. I was uh, just talking with somebody this week about this whole coronavirus uh, epidemic or pandemic, if you will. And the interesting thing to me is I thought back to when Rome came and took over the land of Israel and brought in Koine Greek. And Koine Greek was part of the spread of the gospel. And now what we're seeing is through this pandemic, churches are being forced online. Churches are being forced to bring the message and worship and the truth of God's word to people through a medium that has uh, a global opportunity. Mm -hmm. And so I can see God using this to spread the gospel. And so it's really interesting to me how uh, while panic is going on, God's purposes are being accomplished. Listen, God never panics. God only sits on his throne and he rules from a place of foreknowledge and future knowledge and current knowledge. He knows it all from the beginning to the end. It's already written and it is, uh, isn't it so nice to know that you're safe in the hand of God? Mm -hmm. That we don't have to, to sweat and wonder what's going to happen and what's going to go down with you know, this next, this pandemic or the next one. We don't have to worry. If this wipes us out as people, we're in heaven. If we lose, we win. And if we win, we win. And so there's nothing for us to fear, ladies and gentlemen. You have no reason to back down, to be discouraged, to go, oh, didn't God see? Of course God saw this. And he has plans. And so as we look at this passage, we learn a couple things. You know, God can turn what is meant for evil into good for his purposes. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, what Satan means for evil, God means for good? Have you ever heard that? Well, the interesting thing is, I got thinking about that this week, and I started to do a study on it. You realize, I realized something, that's not in the Bible. What is in the Bible and what is quoted quite a bit is the story of Joseph and his brothers in Genesis 50, verse 20, where his brothers come and he reveals himself at the end of the saga where they had sold him into slavery and they had done all these things to him. And he says to his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And so um, that for us, is confirmation and encouragement to know that nobody can touch us that's not allowed and is not accomplishing the purposes of God in and through our lives. And so we have to trust God with that. Trust Him to do it right. Trust Him to bring in, when things bring in what we need. When things seem to be going great, we always want to praise God and thank Him for the blessings. And when things are getting rough, uh, then we want to, we wonder where God is. Well, when they're getting rough, and they were rough for Joseph, um, that way he was in the center of God's will. And so don't lose hope just because things don't seem to be going the way you would anticipate them to go. 
And so, the evil you may be suffering could be the equipping, equipping or positioning you need to carry out God's will through you. Accept it and look for Him in it. And praise Him for working in your life. And so we learned a couple, we learned three things. That's one. Two, do not fear your enemies. Do not fear your enemies. They are merely pawns in the hand of God to bring about His will. Listen, remember this. We were all enemies of God at one point. We weren't born saved. We were not born Christians. We were born in sin, the Bible tells us. But thanks be to God that Jesus went to the cross and died for us, was buried, and three days later arose from the grave. And if you put your faith and trust in Him, He will save you. And so if you pray and admit that you're a sinner, then He'll, he'll change your life from the inside out. He'll give you a brand new spirit, and he, and he will give you the Holy Spirit, and you guys will communicate and have a conversation with one another. So don't fear your enemies. Um, maybe what we ought to be doing is sharing the gospel with our enemies and reaching out to them and instead let them self-identify as people who don't know the Lord. And what a wonderful opportunity to say, hey, that's the who needs the Lord. And pray for the opportunity as they've identified themselves to share our faith with them. Three, we're to get on with the work. We have no reason to sit around and do nothing. Now, the pandemic will tell us to do just that, to stay at home and do nothing. I don't think that that's what God has called us to. I think we do obey our leaders. All authority is given to us by God. And sometimes it throws us off of our game because we get into our boxes of how we think God is working when He's trying to give us something that we didn't have before, such as... Um, opportunities to minister online which we had not taken advantage of we have amazing guys at church that understand technology really well um, I rely on them heavily because I'm not in that group but they uh, they do a great job and we will not sit around and we will not be silenced by a virus we will use this opportunity to to preach the truth of God's word to a lost and dying world who needs hope in Jesus Christ. If God has called us, He will support us, and it's time to march on. You know, I was reading an article this week uh, that was printed in the Washington Times on November 3rd, 2002, and it was entitled, Godless Americans March on Washington. And the Times reported on the event by saying thousands of non-believers converged on the mall yesterday to demand equal rights under the Constitution and separation between politics and the pulpit during the first ever Godless Americans March on Washington. The roughly 2,000 people uh, or demonstrators from around the nation, self-proclaimed atheists, agnostics, free thinkers, and secular humanists, toted cardboard signs that read, One Nation Under the Constitution. Religion kills. God is a fairy tale. So, what is our takeaway from that? Opposition to what God is doing and what God is up to was not limited to the days of Ezra. It is going on today. This 
took place almost 18 years ago. And guess what? God overcame it. And just like God has overcome that, any opposition we face, whether it be a virus, whether it be technology, whether it be somebody at work, whether it be uh, 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 our own shyness, God will overcome it. If we rest in Him, trust Him, listen to Him, obey Him, and understand when you obey Him, the power of God empowers you. And so, God has overcome. And we can take confidence in that. We can take uh, peace from it and not sit here and sweat and wring our hands because Jesus Christ loves you and he has called us to a work, not to sit on the sidelines, but to go and proclaim his name. And therefore we shall go. And so I'm going to ask each one of you to pray with me. If you'll bow your head and close your eyes. Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we've had to get together today. We, I thank you that a virus, I thank you that um, a location does not separate our hearts for you, does not limit us from the calling that you've placed on our lives. It also does not restrict our love for one another and our desire to be together and to encourage each other unto love and good works and to lift up the name of Jesus Christ and proclaim him in all his glory to all the people we know. And so we thank you for each and every person who's joined with us here today. I pray that as you have spoken to all of us, to our hearts, I pray that the things that you have said, I pray that we'll pay attention, that we'll hear and listen and obey, and that, Father, that our eyes will be ever looking and ready and conscious and attentive to seeing your hand. Father, you tell us that the kingdom is around us. And so, Father, I pray that we will see where you're working, what you're up to, what you're doing. And, Father, that we'll take our opportunities and the op and that the, we pray that you will continue to encourage our hearts knowing that you have already worked in the heart and mind of the other people. And so today, as we come to the nearing the conclusion of our time together, Father, I pray that as we go, there's a lot of fear and panic in this world right now. People are buying up uh, stores full of groceries and paper products and sanitizer and fear is running rampant but you have not given us a spirit of fear but of but of faith and peace and joy and father we go forward in your name and i pray that we will demonstrate the confidence that comes from walking with you because not even a virus can touch us if you don't allow it and so thank you father for what you've done I thank you for each and every person that has joined us today. I pray for them. Their life, I know, touches many people. And I ask you to use them. Father, what great examples of faith they are. Great examples of people who love you and are uncompromising in their faith, but also loving to the people around them. We pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.